0: so we are in a series out of Galatians and we're going to in a moment we're going to read all the whole of Galatians 3 so uh, I've got four different people who are going to help me with that but just a reminder for those of you who don't know much about the book of Galatians it's in the New Testament it's one of Paul's letters to the churches in Galatia and the background to this really is that the Galatians were were Gentiles i.e non-Jewish people who had become Christians, come to a place of faith in Jesus, believing that Jesus was who he said he was, and had, had, had become Christians, given their lives to him, and, you know, faith in Jesus. Uh, but in the process of becoming Christians, some, some Jewish believers, Christians, had turned up, basically saying, "It's great that you come to faith, but now you need to adopt some of the old Jewish customs as well. In other words... In layman's terms, it's great that you've got faith in Jesus, but now we need to add some different things that you need to do on top of just faith to really be pleasing to God and really be acceptable to Him. And so, and that's the controversy in the background. Paul is away from the church; he is hearing this news, and that's why he writes this pretty feisty letter to the churches, saying, "What is going on? What's, these people have come in and they've taught you some stuff which is not what I taught you." And so that's, for those of you who don't know the background, that is the background, and that makes a lot of sense of the letter. So it helps when you read the letters to go, what is, what is going on and what issue are they addressing? Same with Corinthians, same with other letters. What's happening in this church? So we're going to read all three Galatians 3. It's going to take us a little while, but I think it's helpful. And then we're going to focus on the second half. But I think, Vahe, you're going to start.
1: You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness.
2: Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the Gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith the law is not based on faith on the contrary it says the person who does these things will live by them Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole and he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that By faith, we might
1: receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people but to your end to your seed meaning one person who is christ what i mean is this the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by god and thus do away with the promise for if the inheritance depends on the law then it is no longer depends on the promise But God, in His grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party. But God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus if you belong to Christ then you
0: are Abraham's seed and his according to the promise. Great okay so I want to ask you a question right at the start and that is this how do you feel about rules? Are rules a good thing or a bad thing? Good. We'll get there so as a Christian do you think rules are good? Do you think as a Christian you have to keep rules? Are there religious rules that you have to adhere to as a Christian? Now you can thank you, Leonard. You can turn to the people next to you uh, and ask them this question: Do you think rules are good? Do you think, as a Christian, you have to keep rules? Okay, have a little conversation and see what they say to you. That means you have to say something out loud to them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking you the questions I'm just <laughs> Okay, good. Okay. Right, come back to me. So, and uh, let's do a little show of hands. How many of us think there are religious rules that if you're a Christian, you have to keep. Okay, so there are religious rules. How many of us think there aren't religious rules as Christians? You have to keep.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow! Wow! Think <laughs> <there?
1: laughs>
0: <laughs> Mark thinks there's no religious rules. Anybody else think there are no what religious, you think rules? religious rules? Well, we're going to find out, sir. No. Okay. Is your question a bit ambiguous? Yeah. I don't think it's ambiguous. Are there rules or not? What's ambiguous about that? Sarah and I are going to have a debate now publicly in front of all of you. So, okay. I think it's a difficult question to answer. Yeah, fight, fight, fight. Uh, Because I think if you say, yes, there are religious rules as a Christian, you have to keep, basically it makes Christianity sound like a horribly legalistic thing, right? Which is the very thing you don't want a faith to sound like. You don't want to go, I've become a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, here are all the rules. You must not, must not, must not, do not, do not, do not. You can, but don't do that, right? Do that, but not until then. Okay, and we list these whole bunch of rules. We kind of go, well, no, I don't think it's like that, do we? Okay, but what if we take all of them away? Because if we say, well, there are no rules, it can feel like, oh, hold on, if, if there are no rules, are we saying that Christians can do whatever they like? Yeah, like are we saying there's no rules and Christians could do, it's a bit like if you've ever, how many of you have ever taught a child to ride a bike? Yeah. Yes. So when you're teaching to ride a bike, at least in the UK, they have they often have stabilizers, little wheels that basically hold the bike, and you kind of go. But there's a point, and often you're holding it, and then you take the stabilizers off, and you're still holding and running after them around the park, and and then there's a point where you kind of go, I've got to let go. If I let go, are they just going to go and just collapse on the floor? And you kind of go, Yes, quite possibly. If we take away all the rules, what's going to happen to the Christians? If we say to the church, no religious rules, is everyone going to go, hey, I'll just do whatever I want? Does it lead, as in, does it lead to license? So one way you kind of go, if I say, yes, there are rules, it sounds like I'm a legalist. And if I say, no, no, there's no rules, it sounds like I'm just going, hey, do whatever you like. That's the challenging and that's the confusing part. And in one sense, although it goes much deeper than that, there is some of that argument going on in Galatians 3. Are there rules or are there not? And Paul is writing to the churches and he's talking about, he's commenting on both. You could say justification, which is a theological word for when you first become a Christian, when you give your life to Jesus, when it is in a sense, it's a free gift of grace. You are justified, totally forgiven because of the work of Jesus. It is performance related, but just not yours. It's his performance relation. So because he fulfills the law, you can come freely and find forgiveness And the theological word is sanctification. In other words, from that point, how you grow. And often Christians want to go, there's two parts. There's the first bit, the free bit. And then there's the second bit, the bit where you grow. And we have to kind of like, we now have to adhere to some rules. And we want to separate the two. And that is the conversation partly that's going on. And you can tell that because the first part of Galatians 3, Paul starts to talk about the promise and Abraham. And the law coming to Moses. Did you catch that bit? 430 years later? So the promise is given to Abraham. In other words, that the Gentiles, the non Jewish people, are going to come to faith. So this promise comes first. And then, decades, centuries later, the law is given through Moses. And it would seem that the Judaizers, the Jewish Christians who have come to spread this different message, are arguing. From what's called redemptive history look back in the history of israel the promise comes and then the law comes so clearly then it makes sense for people to go there's a free part and then the law comes here are the rules as to how we work it out i'm justified freely but i grow by adhering to rules and this is what paul has to say about that very thing i mean he says you've begun by the spirit but basically, it sounds like you're saying you have to be completed by the flesh. Well, here's what Paul says. Galatians 2, there's just three different verses. There are lots of them. But he says some very controversial things. Okay. Now, I've preached this kind of message before. And this is the kind of message where I've got the most kickback pretty much out of any messages I've ever got. Because the New Testament is wildly controversial on this issue, I think. Okay? So if you're not slightly shocked by this, then you're not listening to what he's saying properly, okay? So Galatians 2, verse 19, it says this. For through the law, I die to the law so that I might live for God. So I die to the law, Galatians 3. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. We just read that. So if you keep observing the law, in other words, he's saying, if you keep trying to follow rules, you are under a curse. What? But I thought the rules were good. No, no, no. If you keep following the rules, you're now under a curse ephesians 2 verse 14 for he himself jesus is our peace um, and has has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations in other words he's saying that through jesus the law has been abolished you kind of go is that right how can that be true He's saying there's no religious rules or there are religious rules in other words what paul is saying to the galatian Christians, the Gentiles, he's saying, in order to grow, they've come to faith, in order to grow, they don't need the law. They don't need rules. In fact, he goes further than that. This is the shocking bit. He says, that actually, following rules does them harm. It's like, it's like living under a curse, he says. It's outrageous. Imagine what the Jews are thinking. Really? You're taking the stabilizers right off? And you're saying there are no rules? Now, here's the question for us that we need to wrestle with. Does that mean the law is bad? Like, why would God give the law in the first place? So we're saying the law is bad or not bad? Because the Bible clearly instructs us to live holy lives. So it's saying if you try and live under the law, it's like living under a curse. And yet the Bible also says, live holy lives, be righteous. How do those two things fit together? And that is partly what Galatians 3 is dealing with. Okay, you come to faith. The Judaism is saying, have some rules now. If you have the rules, then you'll be righteous. And Paul is going, living under the rules is like living under a curse. But Paul also says, actually, you need to fulfill the law and live holy lives. And Jesus says, actually, the whole of the law is summed up in two commandments. Love the Lord your God and love, love others as yourselves. So Jesus also affirms the law. And says, that's what a spiritual person looks like. How do you put those two things together? How do you get your head around the question, are there rules or are there not? Is, is Christianity a rule-keeping religion or not? That's where we're going to finish today. I hope that was helpful. No, we're going to carry on. Okay. Right. The first thing is this. Verse 19 of Galatians 3 says this. The law was added because of transgression. Okay? That's a bit of a strange verse to read. The law was added because of transgression. What the heck does Paul mean? Because it sounds like he's saying, was the law given in order to punish people who are sinful? And that's not what Galatians 3 verse 19 means. Literally, the phrase transgression means law-breaking. What does he mean when he says that? What he means, I believe, and you can see it elsewhere in the New Testament, is that the New Testament teaches that law, the law was given through Moses to the Israelites in order to reveal sin, to show it. Okay. So Sarah and I, many years ago, went to Oxford. We visited the universities there. We walked around. We didn't actually go to the university in Oxford but we, as, in, as students, but we visited there, we walked around, and often on these old universities, you have a quad, like a nice old area, and in the middle is a big patch of grass. And I vividly remember being there, and walking around, I, had, I didn't really care. I was just walking on the pavement, it was fine. And then I saw the sign saying, do not walk on the grass. Mm-hmm. Guess what I wanted to do immediately? <laughs> Exactly. Immediately I wanted to walk on the grass. I had no desire to walk on the grass until I saw that until I saw that. But I see it, I see the command, do not walk on the grass, and immediately it's like I want to walk on the grass. Well that I know. But what's happening? Is that is the rule bad? No, the rule's fine. But what is the rule doing? It is revealing something within me, a something of a rebellious heart within me. It's saying suddenly it stirs it up in me. And that is what Paul is saying. That the law was given because of transgression. In other ways, to reveal to us that there's a rebellion in our hearts. In fact, he goes further. It's not just that the law reveals sin. The law provokes sin in us. Romans 5, Paul says this. The law came in to increase the trespass. You go, really? Yeah. The law came. The law was good. The law shows God's like his will, it shows his his standards. It shows what a kind of kingdom-oriented life looks like. But actually, what it does in us, because we have a rebellious, sinful heart, is it reveals that we're sinners. It reveals that we're we're rebels. Romans seven says the same thing. But sin, finding the opportunity in the commandment, wrought in me all kinds of covetousness. Yeah. John Piper, who's the American author-pastor, says that the law was given to Israel and it was like a train track showing them this is what life should look like. Okay? But what we do is we make it a ladder. We put it up on its side and we go, this is how we climb up to God. But the law was never meant to be a ladder. It was always a train track to show you this is what life in the kingdom is supposed to look like. But what it does is it reveals in us that uh, my heart is not full of the kingdom. It reveals and provokes sin in us. And it either drives us one of two ways. It drives us either into legalism, in other words, I'll follow a faith, but I'll make it full of rules. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, definitely don't do that. Who wants to be part of a faith like that? Not me. (laughs) I'm not not interested in just a, a faith that's just full of rules, okay? It either drives us there, or it drives us away into license. I'll just live life however I want. I'll just totally rebel. Either of those options are far away from what Jesus teaches. So that is why Jesus tells us. partly why Jesus tells a story about the prodigal son. Tim Keller talks about the prodigal sons. And I think he's right. One of them rebels and runs away, lives his life in total license, ends up eating with the pigs. The other one stays home, and when the rebellious one comes back, he's really annoyed because I've spent all my time working for you. In other words, what does that reveal? He's the legalist, (laughs) right? He wasn't the goody in the story. He's the older brother who should have gone and got the younger brother, right? Jesus is the older brother we all needed who came and got us. One's a legalist, one's full of license. Both of them are far away. And that's what the Lord does. It reveals sin in our hearts, and it either pushes us into legalism, Or pushes us into license one way or the other. Now, does that mean the law is bad? Paul says in Galatians 3, absolutely not. The law is not bad. The the rule about the grass wasn't a bad rule. Romans 7, verse 12. So then, Paul says, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. 1 Timothy 1. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. And as we said, Jesus himself affirms the law. Okay? So... Paul is not saying the commandments were bad, right? He's saying the commandments showed us what God's good and perfect will is for our lives, what kingdom life looks like. But the law actually revealed sin in us. It had a role, a role to play, okay? The problem is not that the law is bad. The problem is that my heart is bad. If you like, we are hardwired, in other words, to want to do our own Thing. We're infected, the Bible says, with a desire to do our own thing. Now, some of you will know our youngest son, Ben. Ben and I, in the last couple of years, have watched quite a lot of programs about zombies. (laughs) I don't know if I need to confess that to you, but yeah, we've watched quite a lot. We've watched an entire series called The Walking Dead. I don't know if you've ever watched that. I'm not necessarily saying you should watch it. It's not, you know, but anyway. Okay, yes. Okay. You don't often come to church and the pastor talks about zombies. But anyway, so Ben and I have become experts on a zombie apocalypse. So if we ever do have one, we're the guys to talk to. Because we, whenever we go out for a walk now, we can go, would you hide out there? I think I would hide there. That's a good place to stay if there's a zombie. And that's basically 90% of what Ben and I talk about when we go out together. Uh, what weapon would you take? Oh, I would take this weapon. Where would you go and get those weapons? Again, we've cased the entire Rotterdam. we no... But if you, if you watch that program, and it is very important to be prepared, everybody. If you, so if come forward afterwards and we'll pray for you. So basically, in the program, what you discover is everybody is infected. So if you die, everybody comes back as a zombie. Now, that is obviously not a true story. Don't, I'm not preaching that to you. But everyone's infected. And Paul writes everyone's infected. Everybody is infected. The problem is not that the law was bad, it's that something about my heart is bad. So I can't respond to the law. What it does is it just shows what's in me. Don't walk on the grass. I want to walk on the grass. And the law, Paul is saying, is totally incapable of dealing with the infection inside of me. So what the law is able to do is it will point out the infection. That's bad. It's able to tell us what the infection, what life without the infection should look like. You shouldn't be like that. It will point to us and show us what life without infection looks like. But if you try and treat the infection with the law, you make it worse. I don't know if you've ever taken medicine that's made you worse, right? That's what it's saying. You think, oh, I'll treat it with some rules. If you treat it with some rules, it gets worse. That's what Paul is saying. The infection gets worse. It's like living under a curse. You'll be live a miserable life. Galatians 2, 21, the law was unable to impart life. So the very thing we most need, we stick some rules on top of people, and it doesn't impart any life. It makes it, makes it worse. Galatians, uh, Romans 8, the law was powerless. Okay. Now, a few years ago, Sarah and I were driving somewhere on a Monday. It was our day off. And uh, I don't know if I told this story, so forgive me if I've told you this story before. Have I told you this story? I'll tell it again, because it's worth telling, because it's kind of fun, although it wasn't fun at the time. Anyway, we got to a park near our house where there's two sets of lights. And we're driving to go and walk the dog somewhere in the park. And I get to the first set of lights, and I see the second set of lights, and I see it go green. So I immediately go, and then I realize my, my lights are red. They're only a few meters apart. And I'm like, huh. So after about three meters, I stop the car, okay? But just in enough time for the policeman who happens to be right next to me to have noticed that I've just gone through a red. So anyway, it all goes green. I drive off, and he flashes his lights, and I'm like, oh, come on. So he pulls me over. And I get Mr. Jobsworth. Do you know what I mean by I say Mr. Jobsworth? Mm-hmm. I get the guy who has no ability to show any sense of flexibility at all whatsoever. So I get out of the car and I'm like, I'm really sorry I went through a red, but you saw it went green, the one in front. And I, I didn't realise that was... I just went and then I stopped. Because I'm a good law-abiding person, Mr. <laughs> Policeman. I stopped. And, and, then, and then I only went further when he, was going, when he went green again. He said, yeah, but you went through a red. I know I went through a red. I'm really sorry, but it went green. Yeah, but you went through a red. And we had that conversation for quite a few minutes. And I'm like, yes, but I did it by a mistake. And then I stopped. And yeah, but you went through a red. And I'm like, oh, come on. Oh, yeah, honestly. It's like. And so I said, look, you know, could you, would you be able to show some kind of flexibility? He said, well, what about all the other people I've booked here, mate? What about them? And I said, I won't tell any of them, okay? He didn't. That's honestly why I said he didn't respond to that very well. I said, your secret is safe with me. I won't tell them. Guys, no, mate, you went through a red. I'm like, I know I went through a red. And we had this conversation. I'm like, Sarah's sitting in the car. He said, can I see your driving license? So I get the wallet out with the driver licenses. How come you've got two licenses? I'm like, well, one's hers and one's mine. This is the kind of guy I was dealing with. Anyway, he was driving me nuts, this guy, and he's about to give me a ticket for going through a red light. Uh, did I tell you that it went green? And then, it, yeah. So, anyway, I say to him, "Can I?" Don't I, think you've got over this I haven't got over it. Please pray for me. So, anyway, long story cut short. I I say to him, "Can I just ring my friend, who's a lawyer?" He did look a little bit worried at this point. So I tried to ring my friend Tim, who's a lawyer, to see what I do. Is Tim? I'm like, I oh, don't feel this is okay because you either basically say yes and they give you a ticket, or you have to go to the police station and argue with them. So anyway. I'm in the car. Sarah's praying in the car because she knows this is going to ruin my day and probably my week. I can't believe it. Okay. So I sit in the car trying to ring my friend. Anyway, I get out of the car. Sarah's praying. And the guy, the policeman's there going. And he's tapping his stupid little machine trying to give me a ticket. And his machine's broken. (laughs) (laughs) Phrase Amen. 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 So his machine's broken. He goes, I get out of the car. He goes, I can't believe it can't believe it. You've got away with it, mate. I can't give you a ticket. And and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I won't do it again. (laughs) I'm sorry, Mr. Policeman, I won't do it. But his machine was broken, and that's because God judged him for being such a legalist, okay? So now he let me off, and we drove away. The point of the story is the policeman was right. I went through a red light. But he was unable to do what I needed him to do, okay? The law is right, but I was unable to impart the life that we want it, can't deal with the infection within us. It shows us the standards, but it can't change us. In fact, it makes us worse. So, the question then is this why was the law given in the first place? In fact, Paul says that in verse 19. What, what was the point of the law? Verse 23 is where he gives the answer. Before this, before the law, before this faith came, sorry, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up. Until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. The picture here is of a guardian, like a child or a school teacher. The law is like a guardian, and we were put under the supervision of the law. But Paul is saying it was temporary, it was never meant to be permanent you know the the law is like a guardian and the role of the guardian Paul is saying or the role of the law is to lead us to Jesus in other words it is to show us that we need saving that we cannot do it by ourselves because we try and treat the infection with the law and the infection gets worse because the law does display what God's righteous rule is like but is unable to impart life to us. And the job of the law was to bring us to Jesus. In fact, it says we were under, we were held as prisoners locked up. Okay? In other words, we were either driven into being a legalist or driven into license. Either way, you can't escape. Literally, we were locked up under the law. And that is why when you read in Romans 7, which is quite a confusing chapter for some people, you read Paul going... I want to do what I can't do, and I can't do what I want to do. In fact, I'll read a little bit. Verse 14 says this Romans 7 We know that the law is spiritual, good, but I'm unspiritual. In other words, I'm infected. I have a desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Okay? Romans 7 is saying the same thing as Galatians 3. I was locked up under the law, I can't escape. I want to live a certain way, but I can't. And the rules don't help me, even though I know the rules are good. I am literally locked up. And then in Romans 7, Paul goes on, who will rescue me? I need rescuing. The whole point of the law was to bring us to a point of thinking, I need a saviour. I cannot save myself. Every other world religion will say, you climb the ladder, you, get, you, you save yourself. And the gospel is, God comes to you Jesus gives his life for you so that you get saved through him you can't save yourself who will rescue me, Paul says thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord now Paul is saying, the law is good but it had a job, it was to lead you to Jesus, now if you're a Christian, if you come to Jesus you are no longer under the supervision of the law okay you have like a new parent as it were or a new husband or a new wife you've been liberated from that relationship it was only supposed to be temporary so galatians 2 i died to the law so that i might live for god verse 25 now that faith has come we are no longer under the supervision of the law so the law was temporary We're no longer under it and we're not supposed to go back to it because if we keep going back to it, it's like putting yourself under a curse. It produces more misery in your life. Final question, therefore. Okay, so I'm not under the law, but then what about a righteous life? The Bible keeps talking about living righteous lives. How does that work then? How do you take the stabilizers off and not fall over? How how do you do that? Because, okay... Paul is clearly teaching, I don't live under law. In fact, the Lord can't produce the life I want. But what does produce the life I want? In other words, how do I live a righteous life then if I'm not going to give myself hundreds of religious rules to follow? That's the big concern, right? Galatians 5 says the same thing. Verse 13, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature rather than serve one another in love. So the Bible teaches very clearly, no, you're not supposed to live in license either. You don't fall off into legalism or fall off into license. How does it work then? How do we live like that? Well, you live like that because when you become a Christian, when you follow Jesus, something radically new is born in you. Okay, people talk about being born again. Jesus talks about you need to be born again. And that becomes a little bit of a Christian cliche. But actually, in the New Testament, it's saying, no, something radically new has been born in you. Something of your old self has died, and a new self is being born. You are a new creation. So something radically new is being born within you when you become a Christian. Something the law was unable to do could never treat the infection inside of you. Now the spirit is completely able to do. (laughs) And that was, is what was promised, if you like, through the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31 says this. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Ezekiel 36, the same thing. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. And move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Okay? The law was an external written code. Okay, which showed us God's will for his people, but was unable to impart life. Now, when you come to faith, you are not under the external code anymore. But by the Spirit, the external code is now written as an inner principle there is a new heart the very thing we most needed was a new heart because my old heart couldn't respond but now something has been born again in me and there's a new heart you know if you have the privilege to raise children when they're little at least we did with our kids quite often had to say to them stuff like please don't throw your food on the floor (coughs) you know they would sit at the table and just go "Mm." particularly one or two of them i've had enough (coughs) And they would just, you had to have these little rules, please don't, no, don't throw food on the floor, and there would be consequences if they did, and all that kind of stuff. Now, fortunately, now they're 15, 18, and 21, and 22, I don't have to say that anymore to them. Praise the Lord. <laughs> why? I know for some of you, we still have to talk about that, okay? But why do I not have to say it? Because that external thing has now been written inside of them. They ha- they've got it. I don't have to keep giving them rules because it's inside them. Now that is a silly picture of a far more radical thing that happens when you come to faith. What was an external code could never do has now been put in us as a new heart, a new desire to want to respond to God. So yes, are we called to live a holy life? Yes. Do we do it via the law? No. Was the law good? Yes. Was it able to impart life? Absolutely not. Are you called to live holy, righteous lives? Yes. How do you do it? Galatians 5. You walk in step by the Spirit. Okay, let me read you what Galatians 5 says. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So we will get to Galatians 5 in a few weeks' time. But how do I live a righteous life? I don't compile hundreds of laws or rules. I keep as close to Jesus as possible. I keep as close to other Christians as possible. I, keep as, I take the Holy Spirit seriously because Paul teaches in Galatians 5, how do I live a righteous life then if I'm not under the law? I walk by the Spirit. I live by the Spirit. I keep in step with the Spirit. And if I do those things, actually, he says, your righteousness is going to surpass what was asked of you in the law. And that's why Jesus says, It's not just about not committing adultery. It's about not looking lustfully. Jesus raises the stakes in terms of holiness. He just says, you don't get there by observing rules. You get there by coming to Jesus, keep coming to Jesus, keep receiving from Jesus, and walking closely with the Spirit. And if you veered off and gone and done your own thing, you keep coming back. Keep coming back. You keep coming back because he's able to restore you. Let's stand. We're going to pray.